0: of a plague-ridden world that ours is not a loving god and we are not its favored children the heresies of radolf Buntwine, coming january 2nd wherever podcasts are available
1: hi i'm madigan and you're listening to your angry neighborhood feminist a podcast that explores the world through a personal feminist perspective hello hello everybody how are we this week I have been talking my ass off today, so I'm hoping that my voice sticks with me throughout this half an hour of recording or so. I met with some lovely people who may be working on this show in some capacity in the future. It was so much fun to meet everyone and chat with them. I am feeling really happy and really good about where everything is headed with this whole show and everything like that, so... That's what I've been up to today and I will be leaving shortly to go babysit the one and the only Wilder in a little bit. Very excited. So I've had a big day and it's not over yet, but I have quite a bit of news topics to get to so I won't ramble on for too much to begin with. Let's get into the news. The first thing I wanted to talk about was a shooting that occurred at the University of Virginia, where a former football player for the university is in custody for killing three and wounding two football players on campus on Monday, November 14th. Those who were killed include 20-year-old junior receiver Lavelle Davis Jr. from South Carolina. 20-year-old junior receiver Devin Chandler from North Carolina, and 18-year-old junior defensive end slash linebacker Deshaun Perry from Miami, Florida. The 22-year-old suspect opened fire on a charter bus that was returning from Washington, D.C., where the students went to see a play. According to one witness, the suspect was, quote, aiming at certain people. Devin Chandler was actually asleep on the bus when the perpetrator shot him. Like we discussed recently in the why are most mass shooters white men and not women episode. I can't remember exactly what I titled it. I think it was something like why aren't there more female mass shooters or something like that. But I mentioned in that episode that a lot of times school shooters are former students at the schools that they play out their gun violence. And I'm not sure the suspect was still a student at the time. It kind of sounds like he was since he was on the bus to this field trip, but he was a former football player as well during his freshman year, where he only played for one semester in 2018. He wasn't even part of the class that was going on the field trip, but another professor had invited him to come along. After the shooting, the perpetrator fled the scene and a manhunt ensued, which led to a campus lockdown. He was eventually found more than 70 miles away, hours after the incident. He was then charged with three counts of second-degree murder, two counts of malicious wounding, and five gun-related charges. He didn't enter a plea, and the judge ordered him to be held without bond. Now, I was initially a bit confused as to why he would be sentenced with second degree murder, and I think I was just remembering it wrong, but the definitions are a bit confusing to me, so if you need a reminder, this is what the legal definition of second degree murder is, and that is murder that is an intentional killing that is willful and premeditated with malice afterthought. And this wasn't the first time that the perpetrator was under law enforcement's radar. A student had actually alerted the university's disciplinary board that they had overheard the suspect saying that he had a gun on campus back in September. Before that, back in June of 2021, he was charged with a misdemeanor charge of having a concealed weapon. He was given a 12 month suspended sentence and fined only $100. Again, if you're not aware of what a suspended sentence is, that means that he doesn't have to spend time in jail as long as he abides by the conditions of the court. I read on CNN that the university is now saying that they're investigating the perpetrator's failure to report his misdemeanor conviction to the school, which I say, no, duh. I feel like that should be someone else's responsibility to do background checks for the kids that go to these schools, especially, you know, colleges. They are all pretty much going to be 18 years or older. I think that there is a responsibility to be able to check these people's, you know, backgrounds and and their criminal history and things like that. And I guess my question is, why are we relying on the person who committed this crime to be the one to come forward and tell people that they did it? You know, this is something that I think is really strange about uh, sexual predators as well, when you have to legally put yourself like on the list or whatever you want to call it, and then you move into a neighborhood, you're supposed to like let everybody know. But I wonder who is actually keeping track of all of that to make sure that, These people are actually letting the community know or the universities know, so on and so forth, that they have been, you know, charged with certain crimes and things like that. I I feel like it shouldn't be I feel like we shouldn't behold that to the perpetrator to tell the truth about their terrible decisions and actions and maybe there is something already in place. Maybe I have no idea what I'm talking about but if you have any sort of information about that and want to educate me on it please let me know because this just seems like not a very safe way of going about things especially when we know how prominent school shootings are even in colleges. So of the two injured, one of the students was not in critical condition, and they are totally going to be okay, I'm sure absolutely traumatized. So I, I say okay loosely because I'm sure that there is still a lot of healing involved with that person, but there was another wounded man by the name of Mike Collins, young man I should say, still in college. Mike was a running back on the team, and he underwent multiple surgeries on Tuesday for his wounds. Then on Thursday, Mike was taken off intubation and moved from the hospital's intensive care unit, thankfully. So it seems like Mike is on his way to recovery, and in one of the articles from Tuesday or Wednesday that I was reading, they were talking about how because he was in such critical condition, he wasn't yet aware that he had lost his friends and teammates. Oh my gosh, I just had to take a break for a second because Max decided to waltz right on in with some spicy cornbread he just made, and oh my god, it was so delicious, but now I feel like I have cornbread stuck all over in my mouth. He couldn't even let me get through one story, damn. So also on Thursday, university officials requested an independent review of the shooting from people outside the school to conduct a review of the university's responses to the shooting, as well as the efforts the school undertook in the period before the tragedy. Something else that I think is important to note is that the suspect legally purchased the firearms on two separate occasions after being prevented from doing so in years prior. So the first time he tried to buy a gun was back in 2018, and he was denied because he was, I believe, 18 years old, and you had to be 21 in order to buy a gun in Virginia. And then in 2021, he failed a background check due to the pending misdemeanor charge, He did, however, purchase a rifle in February and a 9mm pistol in July. As for the murdered victims, Cavaliers head coach Tony Elliott said, They touched us, inspired us, and worked incredibly hard as representatives of our program, university, and community. Lavelle Davis was described as a, quote, gentle giant whose smile would light up a room. And the coach said that this resonated in how much he loved his teammates and would do anything for them. Deshaun Perry was described as a delightful, respectful, hardworking person who was one of the best overall young men our community had to offer, according to his high school football coach. Devin Chandler's high school coach also said about Devin that he just wanted to make those around him as happy as he was, and he shared this story that was just so touching to me. The coach said, even during his junior year when his dad passed away in the middle of the season, he came to me and said, coach, I want to play this week. My dad would want me to play this week. That was his character, always thinking of others. The upcoming Cavaliers game on Saturday has now been canceled and a memorial service will be held that day at the John Paul Jones Arena in Charlottesville that afternoon. I will share some links to some GoFundMe pages that have been verified in order to help the families of the victims if you are so inclined and have the means to do so. So the next thing that I wanted to talk about was a very upsetting video that went viral this week that showed a video of a middle school teacher from Pflugerville. starts with a P-F, so I'm going to assume that the P is silent there, in uh, Pflugerville, Pflugerville, Texas, explaining that he was racist to a group of students. This occurred at Bowles Middle School in Texas. Now, I've done my best investigative work in order to find this motherfucker's name, and I haven't been able to uncover it. I went to Reddit. I went to TikTok comments. I asked someone in the comment section on Instagram what this fucker's name was, and no one was able to tell me this guy's name. I even, like, I didn't have a whole lot of time today, but I Googled Bowles Middle School faculty and got really creepy and was like trying to find him. But so I very recently actually did something very similar and was able to find said teacher in this instance. I watched this docuseries and I can't remember what it's called off the top of my head because I didn't think I'd be talking about it, but it was about a teacher who had groomed and sexually abused one of his students and like made her her girlfriend and all of this kind of stuff. And I was like, who is this guy? Because they never just come right out and say his name. And then I also recently read the book, Being Lolita. And she also doesn't state the guy's name. And I was like, I need to know who I'm hating right now. So I went into deep investigative rabbit hole mode and eventually found like one of them, I was on a Goodreads um, site for the book. And one of the reviews was like, I went to school with her, this is the teacher's name, and all this kind of stuff, and I was like, holy shit, oh my god, I can't believe I actually finally stumbled upon it, so maybe I'll go deeper into it tonight when I'm babysitting, but uh, I wasn't able to find this motherfucker's name, and I really want it because I think it's important in these instances that people know who these fucking assholes are, especially these teachers, so they can't just go from school to school and behave this way and be educating our young people that this is all right. Okay, so... I do think that I'm just going to go ahead and play some of the audio of the video because that really exemplifies what's going on better than how I could explain it. But to give you a little bit of a introduction to what's going to be seen. He was teaching an advisory class, which in my experience was kind of like a free period where you had a teacher like you could work on homework or whatever, and there would be someone there to be able to help you through any of the work that you needed to get done. The students in the classroom were multiracial. There were white students, black students, Hispanic students, so on and so forth that you could see on camera, but there was predominantly black students that were displayed in this particular video. So it has now been discovered that before the clip that went viral, there was actually another little bit of a video where a student complained about not being able to use the bathroom when other groups could, saying, bro, that's racist. And the teacher said, so if I was racist, I wouldn't let you go to the restroom, would I? As he writes the student a pass. Rayma Benjamin, an eighth grader at Bulls Middle School, who was in the room during the conversation, said that that it was their first time outright hearing someone admit that they were racist. He also told reporters that the same teacher had earlier admonished him for wearing a Black Lives Matter sticker and made him take it off. So I'm going to just like place my phone in front of the microphone and hopefully give you as decent audio quality as possible of this video. And after I play it, we can talk through it a little bit. And trigger warning, obviously, this contains racism between a white teacher and young black students. So major trigger warning involved in this video. But here we go. Deep down in my heart,
0: I'm ethnocentric, which means I think my race is the superior one. Oh, I think. I think. Wait, No, let me. look. Hey, look. So, white is better than all. No, let me finish. Let oh, finish. Okay. I hey. think everybody thinks that they're just not honest about hey, it Hey, I'm not racist though. I like all types of comments Did I say I don't like people? People like so you said you are what? You are racist. You you're like you're I think everybody's a racist at, at that level. No, the bridge, you said you are racist. <laughs> racist. I did. I did. Yeah, I I'm trying to be honest. I'm racist. racist. No, I'm not so saying, saying it so again. I've said it so enough. So you're racist. I think I to tell you to stop speaking. Put your phone up. I respected you. I actually respected you for a while, but, like,
1: never. I don't think I got a little more
0: respect for you. Put it up. Yeah, for real, I don't
1: think I got respect for
0: him no more, You No, you should have more respect
1: So let's walk it back and talk a little bit about what we heard in that audio. So you heard some students, you know, a little bit upset asking this question. And the teacher says... Deep down in my heart, I'm ethnocentric, which means I think my race is the superior one. So first of all, I saw this in a lot of comments. Ethnocentrism is when you judge another culture by the standards of your own. It's different than um, judging someone's race necessarily, although I would have to argue that thinking that your culture is better than anyone else's would also be considered somewhat racist. But according to simplypsychology.com, Ethnocentrism is using one's own culture as the benchmark to judge other cultures, creating bias. Ethnocentrism occurs when one has the belief that their own cultural group is superior to others. They will believe that their culture's beliefs, ideas, values, and practices are correct. And now, today, race refers to a group sharing some outward physical characteristics and some commonalities of culture and history. While ethnicity refers to something you acquire based on where your family is from and the group which you share cultural, traditional, and familial bonds and experiences with, according to the Merriam-Webster's Dictionary. So not only is this fucker mean, he's also stupid. While being ethnocentric seems pretty racist, he doesn't really even seem to understand the hatred that he's spouting. So after he made this initial comment, it kind of seems like his students start Laughing. And I think that that could be seen as, you know, not taking it seriously, so on and so forth. But how many of you have ever heard something that makes you so uncomfortable that your first response is to laugh it off? I think, especially when you look at the power dynamics in the room, this is a teacher, an adult man who is standing in front of a group of students, and these students do not have the power in that situation and the person who does have the power is saying something that's so unbelievably blatantly hateful and terrible that I don't think that these kids had any other way of knowing how to digest what this person had just said other than laughing at it because it's fucking ridiculous that you would hear this grown-ass man just say no yeah I'm I'm racist and so they're saying to him, like, what, what are you saying? Like, white is better than all? To which he's like, let me finish. Let me finish. I think everybody thinks that. They're just not honest about it. Like, meaning that everyone thinks that their race is the best or maybe that the white race is the best, so on and so forth. But after these students have more back and forth, one kid wants this man to straight up say it. And he's like, so you're a racist, right? And the teacher says, yeah, I did. I'm trying to be honest. Girl, what are you doing? The students then ask him to repeat himself, and he doubles down again, saying, I am a racist. His students then begin to tell him, like, look, I used to have respect for you, but I don't have respect for you anymore, which means I have all the respect in the world for those students. Like, raw fucking vo they all deserve cookies and cake and everything in their wildest dreams. I am so proud of how these kids handled themselves and stood up against this bad, bad man who was a grown up in a position of power as a teacher in this school. And they were just like, fuck you. I have no respect for you anymore, which I think is even worse than really anything else that you could ever say to somebody. I think saying like, I ha- you have lost all of my respect is worse than just being like, fuck you. You know what I mean? That student, Rayma, who I had talked about earlier, his mom was interviewed and she stated how proud she was of the students in the room for how they responded to their teacher. This unknown racist motherfucking teacher has been put on administrative leave, which means he has his pay and benefits intact. Well, isn't that nice for the racist? Let's take a quick break before we get into a more conservative conversation. Are you ready to shop? Rakuten's Big Give Week is back.
0: And how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny, true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts.
1: All right, I'm back. And it's official. Trump is running for president in 2024. We knew this day would come. But thankfully, it just doesn't feel the same as it did in 2016 or even 2020, especially after the midterms and ongoing investigations on the former president. Now, I'm not saying we're out of the woods, no Taylor Swift pun intended, but at least Trump seems to be losing some popularity within the conservative Republican Party. Trump made the announcement on Tuesday outside of his Mar-a-Lago home, and if he were to be elected into the presidency again, he would be only the second person to be elected to two non-consecutive terms, the other person being Grover Cleveland, and he would be the only president ever to run for re-election after being impeached. This guy... And it's not looking super great for him, folks. His own party has begun to distance themselves from him since the red wave didn't happen during the midterms as was anticipated. Most of the candidates that were backed by Trump weren't elected and they didn't take over the House and Senate like they had planned. In Trump's candidacy announcement speech, he blamed the lousy results in the midterms on voters not realizing the, quote, total effect of suffering after two years under Democratic control in Washington. He says... I have no doubt. By 2024, it will sadly be much worse, and they will see clearly what has happened and is happening in our country, and the voting will be much different. I know, I know. After that impression, I should not audition for SNL. But Trump will also have some competition in the upcoming primary election, especially after the midterms. I've heard a little bit of whispering here and there about Mike Pence, but the guy that everyone's talking about right now is motherfucking Ron DeSantis. How many times have I said fuck in this episode? I hope somebody's keeping tally. DeSantis seems to be the new favorite among conservative Republicans. Rupert Murdoch had a cartoon of, quote, Trumpy dumpty on the front page of the tabloid for the New York Post. The Wall Street Journal calls Trump the Republican Party's biggest loser. In a column on the Fox News website read, Ron DeSantis is the new Republican Party leader. Republicans are ready to move on without Donald Trump. Damn! DeSantis is looking good to Republicans for a number of reasons. He's done well within multiple demographics and won the state of Florida by nearly 20% of the votes. He is also 44 years old, similar in age to a JFK, Bill Clinton, or Obama, which is a stark contrast from the 76-year-old Trump or Joe Biden, who is turning 80 this month. DeSantis is also a former Navy lawyer and congressman, which gives him great credentials in the eyes of the voters. DeSantis is also very popular among conservatives for taking the lead on the, quote, culture war issues related to race and gender. Remember, he was the one in the spat with Disney over the don't say gay laws. Tuesday night on Fox News, Trump said that if DeSantis runs, he, quote, could hurt himself very badly. I really believe he could hurt himself badly. And I'm like, is that a threat? I would tell you things about him that won't be very flattering. I know more about him than anybody, other than perhaps his wife. And when Trump talked about how Murdoch and Fox News had been talking about him, he went on another rampage berating their media for going, quote, all in for Governor Ron DeSanctimonious DeSantis, whom he called a, quote, average Republican governor with great public relations. So not only are his followers beginning to turn away from him, the investigations into the documents held in his Mar-a-Lago home are still underway. Also, the House Select Committee continues to investigate his role in the uprising at the Capitol on January 6th. And let's talk about the impeachments. Trump was not impeached once, but twice, if you would remember correctly. In 2019, he was charged with abuse of power and obstruction of justice. And in 2021, he was charged for inciting the Capitol riot. All in all, the 2024 elections for presidency already sound like an absolute nightmare. And I can't wait to see who the Democrats dig up for us. The last thing I wanted to talk about is something else that's been somewhat viral in the news this week, and that is some of Candace Cameron Bure's homophobic messages that she's been spewing all over the place. So for those of you who don't know who Candace Cameron Bure or CCB, as I've named her in my notes because fuck, that's a long name, she is mostly known as DJ Tanner on Full House in the 90s, then DJ Tanner again in the 2010s on the Netflix reboot Fuller House. She is also very well known for her super cheesy Hallmark movies. She's been in over 20. So Candace Cameron Bure has a long history with the Hallmark Channel starting way back in 2008. Last year alone, which would be the final year that she would work with the Hallmark Channel, she made two Christmas movies for them. Now, Candace has moved over to the Great American Family Network, which is run by former employees from Hallmark Channel, making the new network essentially Hallmark on crack. In an interview with the Wall Street Journal on Monday, she compared the two networks, saying GAF will keep, quote, traditional marriage at the core. And many have pointed out the timing of this, since this year is the first time that the Hallmark Channel will be releasing a Christmas movie, which centers around a same-sex couple. So the fact that Candace is mentioning traditional marriage at all seems to be very blatantly directed at the Hallmark Channel. I forgot to mention this earlier, uh, when talking more about GAF, they say that they create, quote, spiritual, faith-based, conservative, family-oriented programming. But Candace's blatant homophobia with her comments and move to the uber-conservative network pale in comparison to some of her brother Kirk's behavior, and I think learning a little bit about Kirk Cameron will help explain CCB a little bit better. So Kirk Cameron was also an actor, and he played the role of Mike Seaver on The Growing Pains. For those of you who don't remember The Growing Pains, it's the sitcom where the dad was played by Alan Thicke, and Kirk Cameron was gorgeous. Like, I crushed on that boy hard. When Kirk was a young teen, he was an atheist, but then when he turned 17, he became a born-again Christian. This was two years into the sitcom and at the height of his Growing Pains fame. Soon, he began demanding script changes on topics he found too adult or inappropriate. Once he was done with Growing Pains, he formed a ministry with fellow evangelist Ray Comfort, don't like that name, called The Way of the Master, really don't like that name, and they even made a TV show teaching their methods of evangelism. In 2009, he distributed free copies of an altered version of Charles Darwin's On the Origin of Species on college campuses. When he appeared on Pierce, ew, Morgan, ew, tonight in 2012, he said that homosexuality was, quote, unnatural and, quote, detrimental and ultimately destructive to so many of the foundations of civilization. He was also a COVID denier. So this makes a lot of Candace Cameron Brewer's comments make a lot of sense, right? Thankfully, many celebrities have come out and spoken against what she had to say. One of the loudest, literally and figuratively, is Jojo Siwa. They made a statement on Instagram saying, Honestly, I cannot believe that she would not only create a movie with the intention of excluding LGBTQIA+, but then also talk about it in the press. This is rude and hurtful to a whole community of people. Candace's former co-star and pretend little sister, Jodie Sweetin, who played Stephanie Tanner on Full House, commented on JoJo's post saying, You know I love you, with two red hearts. And I thought this was really sweet too. JoJo's former co-star, Maddie Ziegler, also commented, Go off, JoJo! Which is exactly how I feel. Actress Holly Robinson-Pete, who has been in several Hallmark movies, responded to Candace's comments, saying it was, quote, disappointing, but not surprising. She said, go and make the content that you want to make, but why insist on castigating others? She is also a mother of an LGBTQIA person. And truly, I feel like homophobia is just like really outdated. (laughs) Truly. It's very out of style. I was nannying yesterday and I've told this story to a few friends and people that I was talking to over zoom today but um the little nine-year-old girl that i take care of who has trumper parents was telling me that these girls had gotten in trouble at school and had to go to the principal's office because they were calling this boy gay like the, the these two boys gay for each other and like you're so gay and saying it like it was a bad thing or a weird thing and she seemed pretty confused by that too which made me really proud she was like yeah they shouldn't say that and that doesn't make any sense and i just responded saying like That was a thing that like kids said when I was your age. And like that doesn't mean that it was okay. But it's like that surprises me that kids would still think like that. And it truly did surprise me. But then I think about, you know, CCB or whatever. And I'm like, well, of course, there's still people in the world that feel this way and children that feel this way because they hear their parents spouting this bullshit. And they have to watch these fucking GAF family movies, which, by the way, the production quality is terrible. Um, I didn't even want to watch a trailer. It looks like it would just be the most like cringe-inducing movies ever made, so I'm really okay with not consuming any sort of that content, but these poor kids, I'm sure, are having to view so much of this, especially in the holiday times. And again, this brings me back to the children, because it hurts me to think that there are little gay kids growing up this Christmas watching these movies that are so against who they are that are not representing who they are and that they have to grow up in families who don't accept them for who they are Mm -hmm. and the only thing that I can really say to that and I don't know this from experience because it isn't something that I've gone through in my life but I think with anything it's important to remember that it does get better especially you know if you're struggling with things with your parents I can definitely relate to that I got out of my house and moved away when I was 18 years old and kind of set out on my own and was able to create this whole new life for myself and I made a ton of mistakes along the way and my life is by no stretch, perfect, but I was able to step away from the confines of who I was expected to be as a kid, who I was expected to be as a daughter, you know, so on and so forth, and create my own family and my own life and be my own person and acknowledge that even my blood relatives sometimes aren't going to truly see me and acknowledge me for who I am or accept me. They might even hate me or think I'm sick or delusional like they do, um... But that doesn't change me. And at the end of the day, as long as I have me and I like me, that's all I really need. I don't need anyone else's acceptance as long as I feel comfortable within myself. So I know that was a long rambling way of saying it, but I hope that those who don't feel as supported by their blood relatives and families this holiday season can sense the love and support from the community as a whole. And know that it does get better and that you have the power to create any kind of life that you want for yourself. Okay, that's all I have for you today. Thank you so much for listening to another episode. If there's anything in particular that you want me to cover in the future, whether it be on a news episode or a full-length episode, please let me know by emailing me at neighborhoodfeminist at gmail.com or DM me on Instagram at angryneighborhoodfeminist. If you want to follow my personal Instagram page, you're welcome to do so as well. It's at she's Madigan. Now, I do have a Facebook business and group page for the show, but I'm still locked out of my Facebook, so I apologize if I haven't accepted everyone into the group. But most importantly, if you haven't left a rating or a review for the show, now is definitely the time to do it. So you can either go to Apple Podcasts if you have an iPhone and rate and review the show there, or you can go on Spotify and rate us there. It is so appreciated everywhere. I believe on the Facebook page in the business, you can also rate and review us there as well. I just won't be able to check it for a while. Okay, that is all I have for you today. With all that being said, I encourage you to rage on. Bye.
0: Welcome. You've got the digital monsters lurk in the shadowy corners of the internet our darkest fears peer back at us from the depths of the web we can oh. <coughs> oh, hey holy hey Linda Blair are you all right no can we maybe do this a different tone? Hey there, I'm Perry Carpenter. And I'm Mason Amadeus. On our podcast, Digital Folklore, we explore monsters, memes, and
1: everything in between.
0: Looking at our digital expressions through the lens of folklore, we break down
1: the stories and communities we create online.
0: And we try to make it a lot of fun. The show is presented in an audio drama style with a narrative and soundscape that's designed to draw you in. We weave insightful research and expert interviews with humor and storytelling. Come check it out. Search Digital Folklore wherever you get your podcasts.